there's two main views that are popular, post-millennialism versus pre-millennialism, post-after, pre-before. We are pre-millennialists, and we, we believe that Christ is going to come back at His second coming, pre or before the millennial kingdom. He will come back to earth, as, and He will set up His literal, physical earthly kingdom that's the pre-millennial view which is the biblical view and it's not biblical because we believe it we believe it because we see that timeline played out in the bible when the bible is rightly divided and when there is a distinction made between israel and the church the other view is the post-millennial view that is not before uh the millennial starts, this Christ come back, but post or after. The post-millennial view is very, very popular today. Um, most of them will believe in a, uh, a literal 1,000 years, although some of them will not. They will just believe that it's symbolic uh, of a, just a long time of progress uh, of the gospel throughout the day and age in which we live. Um, Post-millennialists believe that, uh, like we said earlier, that the millennial occurs before Christ's second coming. And they believe a gradual end of the church's sufferings and trials that we are going through, uh, and then Christ will return. They, the post-millennialist believes that there will be a golden age of... Uh, uh, of, of, of where, where Christians are flourishing and the church is flourishing and there will be righteousness on the earth and the church is going to experience prosperity and the church in a very big way is going to influence culture. And the post-millennial view versus the premillennial view, it matters because it does affect why you or I or they would do something. I would trust that most post-millennialists are saved, born-again Christians. So you could say that this is an inside argument. This is a, uh, an argument for believers to, to sort out. So they would preach the gospel, but the gospel tends to be lost amidst their confusion among what end times looks like. They believe... Uh, so their reason why they preach the gospel is that they believe that it will result in a worldwide conversion to Christianity. We preach the gospel, the gospel to individual souls and we trust that God will sort that out. But the post-millennialists, they see the world as progressing um, towards... Um, uh, to a worldwide Christianized world. Many of the Puritans believed this way. Uh, I'll give you an example. John Calvin, he's most famous for Calvinism. We all understand that. But he wanted to bring in a Christian republic. And he thought that everybody should live and be legislated by God's word. And you know what? We should be. But you also know what? It's a heart matter. It's not something that I can legislate to you. And I'm going to make you do it. 
That's not how biblical Christianity works. Um, here's what they believe is needed to establish Christ's kingdom on the earth. Because this is what we are talking about. And as we go through Romans 11, we're talking about the establishment or the restoration of Israel when Christ comes back and establishes His kingdom. So this view on the millennial has to do with kingdom thoughts, kingdom issues. Uh, Post-millennialists will say this, increasing gospel success will gradually produce a time in history prior to Christ's return in which faith, righteousness, peace, and prosperity will prevail in the affairs of men and of nations. After an extensive error of such conditions, Jesus Christ will return visibly, bodily, and gloriously. In short, the powerful taking of dominion of Christians will usher in Christ's return. In other words, they believe that they will prepare the earth, the kingdom. They will take dominion over the earth, and that's a way of preparing the kingdom. And then we're going to kind of invite Jesus. Okay, now you can kind of come back. It's completely flip-flop of the premillennial view. Christ is going to come back when he is good and ready. And after he is done dealing with his nation, we're not going to get into that rabbit trail because we'll deal on that in Romans 11. Now, what is the... I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, right? This idea of taking dominion over the world is where the phrase dominion theology comes from. Dominion theology, post-millennialism, new apostolic reformation, Christian nationalism, all of that, it's all off the same tree, branches off the same tree, they're all boiling in the same pot. It is the idea that we are going to take dominion over every area of the culture in the world and that is going to usher in an age of prosperity for Christians to rule and then that will then usher in Christ's return. Now, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number 1. This know also that in the last days... Uh, my Bible says perilous times shall come. Now, I don't know if you look hard enough if you think that it says, or maybe your Bible might say, that in the last days prosperous times shall come. <laughs> but mine doesn't. It says perilous times shall come. And what we have, you've got to understand 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the chapter that gives the last days of the church. And it is not prosperous times, it is perilous times. And it is not increasing in righteousness, 
It is decreasing. Watch what it says. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. We are not going to have a worldwide conversion to Christianity. It is not going to happen. What is happening is this. We live in perilous times and we see a form of godliness. And if the rapture would happen now, the catching away of the saints, where it's not Christ's second coming, no, it's Christ's meeting with his church in the air. If that were to happen, all of the world wouldn't be gone. Most of the world wouldn't be gone. A very small percentage of people, considering the worldwide population, would be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Why? Because we're in perilous times. And all the news will do if, 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 look, if we get raptured now, all the news tomorrow would be, well, yes, some aliens took some people. That's all it would be. And then they'd move on. And that's the way it would go. Look at verse number 13 in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. But evil men and seducers shall do what? Wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I have to preach this message so you understand the why. Why do people do what they do? Why do they believe what they believe? Why do they preach the gospel? Why do they get involved in the activities that they get involved in? A lot of it has to do on how they see end times. What's their eschatology? And that's going to tell you a lot about why they're going to do what they're going to do. We are not going to come into a glory age. People are going to wax worse and worse. Mark it down. That's what the Bible says. That's the last days of the church. Now, a big player in this post-millennialism view and this dominion theology view is Charlie Kirk. He's a big player and he will, he will falsely call out pastors who are not involved in politics. Why? Because he's a post-millennialist. And he believes that politically we are going to change the culture of the world and Christians will dominate the world and then that will be, now we'll be ready to usher in Christ's return. Now he, will, he has been quoted as saying, these pastors will, will use their eschatology as an excuse for disengagement. Charlie Kirk wants Christians to turn up the heat politically. Do you know why? To prepare for Christ's return. That couldn't be farther from the truth. We are to be engaged. Our engagement is the preaching of the gospel our engagement is not a political fight. It's not a social fight. It is a fight for the souls of men and women that they would trust Jesus Christ 
and get plugged into a local church after they've been part after they've been born and been placed into Christ's body, which is his church. And you know what we're supposed to do? Be thankful that we're part of the most powerful organization on this earth. That's the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. This dominion theology wrongly focuses on Christians dominating in politics. And every time they get a political victory, this progresses closer towards them ushering in Christ's return. Uh, they believe that God wants Christians to have authority and dominion over everyone by taking control of all of the political and all of the cultural institutions. They want America to be a Christian theocracy. What God has told us to do is trust Him as Savior and then love Him enough to obey His commandments and guess what else? Go out and preach to individual souls so that they would be saved and then love Christ's commandment commandments and then uh, obey him out of their heart okay now the nation of israel when they obeyed god's command on the earth they were blessed on the earth right we understand that guess what nations today now are blessed how they're blessed they can they can have the same benefit if a nation fears god and follows God's commands, and governs the way that God would want them to govern, that nation, it will be blessed. If you forget God, God's going to forget you. <laughs> we are better off with Christian governors and mayors and freeholders and presidents. We're better off with all that than we are with evolutionists and atheists and all of that. Amen. Amen. So it's important to understand that, yes, we want Christians to have some influence, but our main influence isn't to dominate culture in the political arena. Our main influence is one soul at a time. One family at a time. And the church should be the center of influence. I know this is a foreign message to our world today, but the church should be the ones Amen. that are outreaching souls. Yes, sir. Now, they believe that if, Christ, if America can become a Christian theocracy, that that would be a victory, and that victory would be a sign that the United States is now purified, and now it's ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, do you see how that falls apart? It falls apart because we just read the third chapter of 2 Timothy. We're in perilous times. Things are going to wax worse and worse. We are not going to come into a prosperous Christian nation. It is going to be small pockets of Christians here, small pockets of Christians there. They want to say, hey, let's create a kingdom now. 
How many of you heard that phrase, the kingdom now theology? They want to create a kingdom now. It's, it's dominion now theology. What, what are they saying? They are saying that the Christ's millennial kingdom, his kingdom can be and should be now. And if we can set that up, then we can usher in Christ's return. That is false doctrine. It's not true. This is called, this is also boiling in the same pot. Remember this phrase, the seven mountain mandate. How many of you heard of the seven mountain mandate? Okay, it is a way or a framework that is used to evangelize the world to usher in Christ's kingdom. All of it is unbiblical and all of it is going, it, 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 it will fall apart with a simple reading of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Now, this seven mountain mandate, it was started in the 1970s by Lauren Cunningham, who is the founder of of youth with a mission. Remember the key word youth. And also by Bill Bright, who founded the Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, notice campus. What does that bring to mind? College. They were going after young people. College age, high school age kids. And this seven mountain mandate basically said... We must change the sphere of our culture. And there are seven spheres of life. And we're going to call those seven spheres of life mountains. What are they? Education, religion, family, business, government and military, arts and entertainment, and media and news. So in the 1970s, they came up with this seven mountain mandate and they said, hey, look, we can take dominion over all of these areas of life. And in 2000, it started to gain a lot of ground when Bill Johnson from Bethel, the megachurch, and, and Lance Walnew got together and they co-authored a book calling Invading Babylon, the Seven Mountain Mandate. And basically they teach this. It's Christian dominionism that says this, occupy the mountain. Those seven spheres of life, those seven mountains, occupy the mountains. So they moved away from preaching the gospel and doing what Christians have done all through the book of Acts and all throughout uh, the New Testament church. And they have now moved towards influence your mountain, conquer the mountain. You say, where in the world would they get that? Oh, oh the Bible. <laughs> let's, let's go to the Bible. Go to Isaiah chapter number 2. Isaiah 2. Every false doctrine has Bible. They all do. But let's see if we should occupy the mountains as New Testament Christians. And let's see if we should be a social transformation organization and, and influence all these areas of culture. Let's see Isaiah chapter number 2. Look at 
verse number 2. Well, verse number 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning the New Testament church. Uh, no, it doesn't say that. It says Judah and Jerusalem. That should give us a hint who this is talking about. Israel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Tell me again what we read about in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, perilous times or the last days of what? The church. Uh, when God's talking about Israel as a context, there would also be the last days of who? Israel. There are two sets of last days. Isaiah chapter number 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Why did I take the time in the beginning to distinguish between post-millennialism and premillennialism? Because it all has to do with when and where and how the kingdom is going to be set up. We talked about this morning that when Israel is restored to its princely place on the earth, Christ returns, He sets up His millennial kingdom, Israel is a nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and they, it will flow out of, out of Israel, out of that nation. Isaiah 2 is talking about that time. Isaiah 2 is not talking about our time right now. We don't have to conquer a mountain. Now look at Micah. Go to the book of Micah. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. And look at Micah chapter number 4. Micah chapter number 4. It says, but in the last days it shall come to pass, that's the last days of Israel, not the church, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord into the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nations, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit under man, they shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. And I've got news for you. If you rightly divide your Bible, this has nothing to do with Christ's kingdom being set up during the church age right now. We are not going to usher in Christ by dominating culture through those seven spheres of influence. So they got the seven mountain mandate by cherry picking a verse that has to do with Israel from Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. 
And they have absolutely no distinction at all made between Israel and the church. And that's a huge problem. The other thing that they do, all these groups, New Apostolic Reformation, Dominion Now Theology, Postmillennialists, they're pushing right now for modern day apostles. That's the big push. It's embraced mainly by Charismatics, Pentecostals, and now you need to be really, really careful because most non-denominational outfits are doing the same thing. They believe wholeheartedly that the government should create prosperity for everyone and they preach wholeheartedly that poverty is demonic. I don't know. My Bible tells me the poor will always be among us. <laughs> Tell that to some of the Christian missionaries in third world countries. It's ridiculous. If you're poor, it means you just don't have enough faith. Where'd they get that? From the devil. <laughs> And so these apostles now, they're, all, they're not about preaching the gospel. They're about trying to free people from demons and diseases and they want to destroy the works of darkness. Go to Colossians 2. Go to Colossians 2. Destroy the works of darkness. Some apostle. Apostle Nimrod is his name. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2. Watch what it says in verse number 13. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. Who's, who's that? That's Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. That's Jesus Christ. If you trusted Him, you're buried with Him in baptism. You're risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. Now look at... Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His what? cross don't give me some false pro apostle it's going to heal of demons and powers of darkness and all that my bible tells me in verse 15 and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it christ did all that on the cross and you want to be delivered from something be delivered from the power of sin over your life and death. And you can find it all at the cross of Christ. And you can find it all through the preaching of the cross. So we don't need modern day apostles. But notice, I'll touch on again, uh, Charlie Kirk, he's got the Turning Point USA. It's a, you know what it is? It's a national student movement. Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, this turning point is a national student movement, youth. All of it is targeting the young people. Notice that as a demographic. The young people are getting indoctrinated with this stuff. They argue very strongly this point, that churches are everywhere, 
but they're not doing anything. Now you got to admit, on one hand, that's a pretty good point. When they say they're not doing anything, what does that anything mean? Because a lot of them aren't preaching the gospel, which they should be. But what they mean is, they're not influencing society through these seven spheres of influence, these, this seven mountain mandate that was ordered or come up with in the 1970s. I want you to get two places. Get Deuteronomy 28. I know this is a bit of a history lesson and a Bible lesson all at the same time. But I want you to know why people do what they do so you don't get mixed up in wrong stuff. Deuteronomy 28, might as well get 1 Corinthians 1 as well. 1 Corinthians 1. Deuteronomy 28 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. It'd be great if you wanted to claim a promise that wasn't for you. And Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 13. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 13. The uh, Bible says, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Now we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it goes through curses of the law. It goes through blessings that are received by obeying the law. Tell me who the law was given to? Israel, that's right. It was given to Israel. So your hint Kind of gave, I did give you the answer. But when it says, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. Who do you think God's talking about in this verse? Israel. That nation. Don't be the head. Or don't be the tail. Be the head. Don't be beneath. Be above. In other words, obey my law. I gave it to you. You have earthly prominence. That nation had a princely place on the earth, and so God's telling them that. What the New Apostolic Reformation and Dominion Theology has said, they have claimed this verse wrongly. If thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right, to the left, go after other gods to serve them. And it goes on. Look, you can't claim a verse that was written to a nation, and you're not that nation. The United States of America isn't in Bible prophecy. The nation of Israel is in Bible prophecy. The nation of Israel was given that verse. Are we to claim our mountain of influence? I don't believe we are. Do you know why? Because we don't have any claim from God at all to claim a mountain. And we are not mandated by God to do that. 1 Corinthians 1. 
you and I don't have to be influencers on a mountain. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 states very, very plainly. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. We are not to strive to be influencers. We are to strive to be used by God. And God will use anybody. God is not in the business of setting this thing up as a social program where you have to work to get to the top of the mountain and be the big cultural influencer so that you can turn this nation into a Christian nation. 1 Corinthians says differently. God will use anyone if they would just submit to Him. And some of you they got saved you got some nobody gave you a gospel track. Not you, had, you never had some big influencer give you a track or witness to you or talk to you about Jesus. It was a nobody. That's what I want to stay. I believe that's where we all should stay. Magnify Him. We increase. Uh, we decrease. He increases. See how that flesh? It always wants to put ourselves first. Bill Johnson, this Bethel church guy, uh, Another guy, Cheon, he's part of the, the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. He started a youth movement called, uh, as well called The Call. And again, they're all targeting these young demographics with this Dominion, Kingdom Now, replacement theology. And their big, big doctrine is that they believe that God wants Christians to rise to power and govern the nation. This is why they love We'll stay on this a little bit, then we'll get off of it. Trump. They think Trump is anointed by God like King Cyrus. Go to, go to Isaiah 45. Might as well tackle this as we start to wrap up. Isaiah 45. Again, has nothing to do with the United States. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we should be doing as Christians. But Isaiah 45, man, Trump's our King Cyrus, man. Look at Isaiah 45. Thus saith the Lord, Isaiah 45, verse 1, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of the kings, to open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. And I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, 
And Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, and have surnamed thee, thou, uh, through, though thou hast not known me. Now, King Cyrus was a Gentile king. And he helped lead God's people to their land. And King Cyrus, he assisted the Jewish people in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And God used him. But he's not Donald Trump. And Donald Trump isn't King Cyrus reincarnated. See, who believes that? People believe that. People believe that. You can make a comparison to say, you know what? God can use evil kings for his purposes and leave it at that. But they have created a whole Christian reconstructionism and dominion theology that they are pushing when, the, when these groups say these things. God can use anybody. We are New Testament Christians. We are not national Israel. We are saints of God, children of God. We're pilgrims and strangers on this earth. There's all this talk about being an influencer. Our promised land is where? In heaven. It isn't here on earth. Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Whoever is present, whoever is king, you know what I'm doing? Praying that the Lord would turn their heart so that they govern correctly. But to act like we have a prophecy being fulfilled from Isaiah 45 is ridiculous. Yeah, pe people believe that. People believe that. Last doctrine and then we'll close out. Get Matthew 16. Matthew 16, uh, we'll need jo the book of Jonah, which is right before Micah. We'll need Jonah 2, and then we'll need Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation 1. Jonah 2. Revelation chapter 1, Matthew 16. We'll do Matthew 16 first. In Matthew chapter number 16, in verse number 18, And upon this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now what I'm about to tell you, you may say, Brother Jimmy, I have never heard this. I know you've never heard it. But I want you to hear it. So that when you start to see things play out, you can piece the puzzles together. In Matthew 16, it says, The gates of hell shall not prevail it. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail it. These guys are in the seven mountain mandate, Charlie Kirk, all these, all these influencers, all these guys. They say that the gates of hell, you know where they're at? Guess. Where do you think I'm going to say that they say they're at? Where are the gates of hell? Where do you think that they say that they're over? There's a seven 
mountain, you got it, mandate. You know where they say the gates of hell are? Over these mountains. Which is why doctrinally, they preach, they would not come to this church, sit, listen, and then go out with us to preach the gospel, hand out tracts, preach the gospel, knock on doors. They would not do it. You know what they would want us to do? They would want us to help conquer the gates of hell and take dominion over a mountain because they believe that the gates of hell are over these seven mountains, these areas in life of influence. Who in the world will believe that? Somebody that don't know their Bible. Man, there's, a gate, there's the gates of hell over the education. Gates of hell over uh, you know, religion. Gates of hell over the family. Gates of hell over the business and the military and the entertainment and the media. It's the gates of hell. We're all over that. We've got to conquer it. And we've got to influence it. And come on, Christians. It's not in the Bible. You know why I know it's not in the Bible? <coughs> Go to Jonah 2 and I'll tell you why it's not in the Bible. Number one, Matthew 16 is teaching us that the enemies of the church will never prevail against Christ's true church. It'll never happen. Look at Jonah 2. Jonah 2, verse 6. Let's find out where hell is and where the gates are. Jonah 2, verse 6. And I went down to the bottoms of the, help me, mountains. <laughs> These guys are Phony, false teachers. Every single last one of them should be ashamed of themselves. They don't know their Bible as well as a third grade Sunday school kid that's been taught in a good, that's been raised up in a good Bible believing church. Amen. Amen. I, Jonah said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me, brought up my life from corruption. Oh, Lord, my God. You know where hell is? It's in the heart of the earth. Jonah is picturing that throughout chapter number two. And you know what hell has? Gates and bars. You know why the enemies of the church, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church? You want to know why? Go to Revelation 1. I'll tell you why. Not because Christians haven't taken their mountain of influence. I'll tell you why. The Bible will tell you why. Revelation chapter number 1. Look at verse number 18. Jesus says this in verse 17 at the end. Fear not, I am the first and the last. Revelation 1, look what he says in verse number 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of hell and of death. You know why the gates of hell won't prevail against Christ's church? Because Jesus Christ has the keys. <laughs> That's why. Christ is in control. Amen. And no power of darkness is going to prevail against the church because Jesus has the keys. So you know what we're supposed to do? Go to 2 Timothy 4. We'll read this verse and be done. 2 Timothy 4. Here's what we're supposed to do. Take your mountain of influence. Bunch of phony balloons. My seven mountain mandate. Why don't you just burn that in the trash and just get in a good Bible-believing church and learn what it says. 
2 Timothy chapter number 4. Some of you you like that. Good. 2 Timothy 4. Look at verse number 2. Here's what we're to do. Here's what we're to do. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 2. Preach the Word. How are we supposed to do it? Expository, topical, testimonial. Just preach the Word. Preach the Word. How do I do that? Be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, and and what's the last word in that? Doctrine. We sp- I know I spend a lot of time flipping Bible pages and trying to get you to understand doctrine. Why? It's part of preaching the word. I don't want to get duped and down a wrong trail, and I don't want you to either. We are doctrinally pre millennialists that means we believe the church is going to be caught up christ is going to deal with the nation of israel through the fulfillment of daniel's 70th week and then christ is going to come down pre his second coming feet are going to touch down the mount of olives he's going to come down pre millennial setup pre millennialist christ is going to come back to the earth and he is going to set up his millennial kingdom, and Israel will be the head of the nations. And we'll finally have the fulfillment, like we said this morning, of Genesis 12, verse number 3. Did you get all that? I hope you did. I know it was a lot. You go home, to, to just, just take these three words. This is what you got to go home with. Preach the Word. 